You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Mariners pod, thanks for being here once again. Big podcast for you. We'll talk about the game last night. I guess technically yesterday. Yesterday afternoon as the Mariners fall to Cleveland in game one of the series. We'll get you ready for the ball game tonight as well. Uh, technically this afternoon. 310 first pitch, and it is a great pitching matchup. So we'll get you ready for that as well. A lot to get to in this one. Aaron Goldsmith. Talks with Jim Rosenhaus, so it gives you a really good look on the Cleveland Indians. That comes up in just a couple of minutes. Kyle Seeger will be by. Shannon Dreher will sit down with Kyle Seeger. And it's really an interesting conversation talking about uh, some of what he does in terms of preparation and what he looks at and video and, and everything that uh, I think you really like the insight. So that comes up in a few minutes as well. Also, Greg Green from the marketing staff will be here to pinpoint some of the giveaways coming up for the Mariners, for a Mariners home game. So I think you'll enjoy that as well. So a big podcast coming up. Glad you're here. Thanks for being here once again. Yesterday, a tough one for the Mariners. We talked about this series yesterday coming in, how it's going to be tough facing Carrasco in game one of the series. And he lived up to the billing. And then another tough matchup this afternoon that we'll talk about in just a moment. But in general, though, the Mariners really good at bats early in the ballgame. Carrasco pitches into the seventh inning, but the M's certainly gave themselves a chance to get to the bullpen. Carrasco ends up going six and a third, four hits, one run, did walk three and struck out five. The Mariners, I thought, did a pretty good job overall against him, although they put just put one run on the board. But really, Wade Miley on the other side of things, it was a struggle for him really from the get-go, although he did get some help defensively, some double plays to keep him out of trouble for the most part. The stretch and the 2-2 swing and a ground ball to Seager at third, cuts it off, throw down a second one, the relay to first, in-time double play. Kyle Seager went down after he made that throw, gets up, he's all right. He was able to cut off the ground ball into the hole at short. They go to second to get Uribe, and they double up Kyle Gill at first, 5 Four, three, double play to win the inning. Well, he was walking the tightrope early. He, he kept the Indians off the board the first couple of innings, but then Cleveland would get to him, and then the fourth in particular, he struggled with his control in a big way. And the 3-1 pitch is up and in for ball four. Another bases loaded walk. This one forces in Juan Uribe from third. Two runs are in here in the bottom of the fourth, and the Indians now lead three to nothing. Yeah, it was just a struggle. Three and two-thirds when it's all said and done. Nine hits, four walks, three runs, and a couple strikeouts. Without those double plays, final line would have looked much worse 
than just three runs given the nine hits and four walks. But here's what Wade Miley had to say after the ball game. We lost it. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened. I obviously didn't feel good going in, but we was able to make some pitches and uh, got some ground balls early. But then that, uh, into the fourth inning, I just got to thinking something I don't do a whole lot, and so I kind of got mechanical and literally lost it. I mean, that game's 100% on me. I got to do a better job to uh, minimize right there. You said you didn't feel good going in. Was that in the bullpen coming out? I mean, just didn't, didn't really feel like I had really sharp stuff going in, and obviously the first inning it showed. I mean, I gave up a bunch of hits, but. I mean, some call it luck. I got felt a little lucky to get ground balls when I got them to get out of those innings. But uh, when I got to the fourth inning, just luck ran out. I just really couldn't throw a strike, and that's that's frustrating. That's some frustrating part, just not making competitive pitches to give us a chance, to give me a chance to even get out of it. You want runs like when you walk in runs like that stuff. So that's Miley talking about the control issues. That being said, Mariners down three nothing going into the sixth inning, and that's when they would get on the board. Despite some pretty fierce wind, Kyle Seeger dials distance. The pitch. Swing, hammered high, right field. Cowgill going back onto the warning track. Cowgill looking up, and this is gone. About a dozen rows deep for Kyle Seeger. Home run number two on the season for Seeger. It comes with two outs, and the Mariners are on the board for the first time tonight. It's 3-1 to one Indians. That was great to see. Six hits for the M's in the game, two of them from Kyle Seeger, a base hit going the other way, and then pulling a long ball, his second home run of the year. So the Mariners down at that point, 3-1, to one, heading into the ninth, and they would start to make things interesting. The 0-2 pitch, swing and a line drive down the left field line. This one is going to be a fair ball in toward the corner. Lynn the turn, heading for second. The ball gets away from Davis in left field after it caroms off the wall. Now he gets to it. The throw to third is going to be cut off by Lindor. So Adam Lind with a leadoff double here in the top half of the ninth inning. So they'd pull a run back to make it 3-2, to two, but they would not get closer than that. The one-two pitch, curve, swing, and a miss for strike three, and the ball game is over. The Indians take game one of this three-game series, a final score of three to two. Carlos Carrasco picking up the victory for Cleveland in game one. Wade Miley with a loss now with a record of 0-2, and, and the Indians capitalizing on a lot of walks. Yeah, three runs on the board. Give credit to the bullpen, though. Montgomery was outstanding, two and two-thirds, one hit, no runs, one walk, and one strikeout. The one-two, curb, swing, and a miss for strike three. That's it for Bird and the Indians. Here in the bottom of the fifth, and Monty has retired the four batters he has faced in relief. Well, it's fun looking at his stuff out of the bullpen. Even in you know, going long, two and two-thirds, still is you know, sitting Essentially 94 miles per hour on the fastball, according to Brooks Baseball, reaching 95 and a half miles per hour, which was awfully impressive. And threw a lot of fastballs, 30 fastballs in his outing, seven curveballs. That's how he distributed things. But mainly working with the fastball, and it was tremendously effective. Zick came in, pitched an inning and two-thirds, and certainly gave the Mariners a chance, hanging a lot of zeros, but the M's couldn't crawl back, and they fall in game one of the series, three to two. Here's what the skipper, Scott Service, had to say. Yeah, he just fell out of whack mechanically. Um, 
was was really rushing and then lost command, which is not usually his issue. <laughs> you know, he throws sometimes throws too many strikes, but uh, you know, just got a whack out of whack there in the, in the fourth inning and just couldn't get through it. Scott, that's three not good ones from him. Though, at what point are you are you concerned? Yeah, you know, I think he's frustrated. You know, uh, right now as much as anybody. Um, you know, I got some double play balls early. Was rolling along, pitch count was down, uh, but just. Uh, didn't execute and really just totally lost it. I mean, it's it's still early. Wade has, has a lot of track record and, and, and certainly like having him out there and trust him. But, you know, he's, he's frustrated right now. He's, he's better than that. Six hits from the offense, two runs, two by Sager, big home run. So, obviously, nice to get him going a little bit tonight. Yeah, you know, we, we had some chances early in the game. Um, you know, Carrasco's good, obviously. Um, but, you know, we just couldn't get the big two-out hit there early. Um, you know, it was nice to see Seager get rolling a little bit tonight. I thought Ionetta hit some balls hard, nothing to show for it. But, uh, you know, you got to give him credit. They got, they got the outs, big outs when they needed early in the game. Your bullpen does it again. How, how important have they been so far this year? Uh, they've been great, uh, about as good as we could have imagined. Uh, Montgomery was really good tonight, uh, coming in a tough spot, bases loaded, uh, gets out of it there, and then, allows us to, to save some other guys here as we go deeper in the series. So uh, really, really happy with the transition he's made and, and where he's at. The confidence is coming, and, you know, I just he's got good stuff. You know, let him let it eat, and that's, that's what he's doing. So Cleveland takes game one of the series. If the Mariners want to take this series, they have got to win today, and it's not going to get much easier as Danny Salazar will take the ball for Cleveland the righty with pretty wicked stuff will go to the mound. He's off to a great start this year. His first start against Chicago, five and a third innings, just two hits, fans seven. And then against uh, Tampa Bay, his last time out, six innings, three hits, nine Ks. So through two starts, 11 and a third inning, 16 strikeouts, and he's given up one earned run. He has walked six during that time. He's actually walked more. Then he's given up hits, six walks and five hits, but uh, 16 punch outs. And, you know, he's averages in his career nearly 10 strikeouts per nine. I mean, that's how dominant he has been in his career. So he's going to be tough for the Mariners, but the M's will counter with Taiwan Walker, one of their young budding stars of their own. And that's why, I mean, this is a great pitching matchup. This should be a fun one. Danny Salazar against Taiwan Walker. You know Taiwan Walker's off to a really good start as well for the Mariners. Two starts so far for Taiwan, a 2-2-5 ERA. Six innings against Oakland, two runs, fanning four. Six innings against Texas, one run, fanning four. He's walked just two so far in his 12 innings of work. 12 hits, two walks, fanned eight. So pretty good start for Taiwan Walker. And, again, he's going to have to keep it close against Salazar. And the Mariners will try and peck away, maybe do some damage against the bullpen, find a way to try and get the middle game of this series and then set their sights on Thursday for day baseball to try and get the series win. Again, no podcast tomorrow on Thursday with a with an early start against Cleveland. So that gets you ready for what should be a good one today. I'm really looking forward to the ball game today between the Mariners and the Indians. And Cleveland, pretty interesting. Aaron Goldsmith, the chance to catch up with Jim Rosenhaus and give you a good, uh, a good look at Cleveland right now. 
Rosie, this has been a little bit of an odd start for the Indians this year. Three of the tribe's first seven games have been postponed because of weather. Do you feel like the Indians have been able to get any momentum going at all to start the season? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, actually, they played three straight down in uh, in St. Pete because it was inside. And then actually, the weekend was really nice here. But that first week was trouble. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I think it seems like every five years for a team in this part of the country, there's that disastrous first <laughs> week or first home week, whatever. And you saw the schedule last year, and it had the Indians playing the Red Sox. And you knew wherever it was, whether it was here or Boston, it was going to be trouble. And, in fact, if it was at Fenway, they were saying, I don't know if we would have gotten any of the games in. So we got two of them in. Uh, conditions were rough. And then Chicago, the following series at, at U.S. Cellular, was whew, as, as <laughs> difficult, I think, for the players as I've seen in a long time. Well, we saw the Indians a number of times in spring training, and the conversation even back in spring was, when will we see Michael Brantley? When will we see Lonnie Chisenhall? Brantley, one of the best outfielders in All-Star two years ago, led the game in doubles last season. Chisenhall seemed like had a rebirth in right field at the end of last season. Any idea the timetable on these two? Well, they've been saying for a couple of days that Chisenhall could be this week. So uh, I think Brantley's a little bit further away, but the, the encouraging sign is, They've both been playing in the minor leagues, whether it's AAA or AA, depending on which team is closer. And they've both been making good progress. With Brantley, though, he hasn't played back-to-back -back games yet, and they want to make sure he can do that before they turn him loose. And then they've been very cautious. They just want to make sure when he gets back that he can go ahead and play and that they don't have to let him play for three days and then it starts barking the shoulder and, and they have to shut him down for a little bit. So they've been real cautious about it, and, and it seems like a good plan, and he's making good progress. The Mariners will not see Corey Kluber here on this trip to Cleveland, but they see Carrasco, they see Salazar as well. Last year, the Tribe's rotation led baseball in strikeouts. Fair to say that maybe more than any other team in baseball, at least on a short list, this Indians team once again is built around a rotation. Absolutely. Everything you heard this winter, there was a lot of talk. Would the Indians make a deal to bring in more bats and, and try and, and get an offense percolating a little bit better? And they had all kinds of offers from different clubs for Carrasco, Salazar, and those were the two the names that came up the most. But I think the longer the front office and manager Terry Francona talked about it, it's hard to get the kind of pitching that they have and then have it be under team control for an extended period of time like they have. And I think the proof was in the pudding in the offseason. You want to go out and sign a free agent, it's going to cost you $200 million. And the Indians can't do that. But... They have five, almost six pretty good starters under team control for a long time, and they're happy with that. A new face of the bullpen this year, Trevor Bauer. We've seen him in the rotation with mixed results over the year, a former first-round draft pick by the Diamondbacks. It's very early, but how has that transition been like for Bauer so far? Uh, it's been a transition, but uh, you know he's starting, I think, to just embrace it because he's not going to be in, in the bullpen. This is not to make Trevor Bauer a relief pitcher. It was a case of the Indians have six good starting pitchers and they didn't want to send one of them to the minor leagues which would have been Cody Anderson they felt he, he was ready to roll in the, in the major league rotation so um, Bauer found himself the odd man out but with that said uh, Carlos Carrasco the turning point in his career was a, about a four-month stretch he spent in the bullpen before returning to the rotation and the Indians feel they can work kind of fine-tune some things with Trevor Bauer and it could really benefit him if and when he gets back into the rotation, and I think it's just a matter of when. You bring up Carrasco, tonight's starting pitcher. Last year had a no-hitter, 
One out away from a no-hitter in Tampa Bay. Joey Butler broke it up. How good is his stuff? We know he throws very hard. It's it's as good as I think anybody in the American League. Uh, occasionally, it'll it'll get away a little bit. Um, he's not a finished product, I, I don't think, by any means, but he's getting closer with every outing, it seems. Uh, he just seems primed for a big year. Now, he hasn't proven that, that he can take it from start to finish and be really consistent. He's had two, three-month stretches where he's been just unhittable. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he, how he fares from start one to start 32 or three, however many he gets. Rosie, it's always great catching up with you. Thank you so much for the time. Good to see you, Aaron. And yesterday it was great to see Kyle Seeger bust out, had the single, had the home run, and here he is with Shannon Dreyer. Catching up with Kyle Seeger. And, Kyle, you're chattering already right now. You were out for early batting practice today, uh, kind of different conditions. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cold out there. Uh, the wind is uh, it's, it's howling pretty good, and it's, uh, it's chilly. Early spring games, you'll see that quite a bit. Hey, you guys just had a, a hitters meeting, and I've heard a couple of different things that they're a little bit different this year. And obviously, before the start of a series, you guys are going to sit down and talk. But what are these meetings like? Um, you know, just just preparing. You know, I think you can, uh, you know, be as prepared as you can going into a series. You know, we've talked about all sorts of stuff. Their their team. You know, how we're going to play defensively. What we're thinking offensively. You know, going over the pitchers. You know, it's been uh, it's been pretty good. Is there a different emphasis? I know a lot's been talked about about different numbers, but is there anything different that you guys look at this year with Scott Service and crew? Um, you know, I mean, we, we know more of the information. You know, we um, you know we know we, we go into a little more detail, but you know, there there you know there's some similarities. You know, and Edgar, you know, Edgar was here last year, so you know a lot of the hitter stuff is you know it's pretty similar as what he was doing. What I understand is you guys like to talk to Edgar on a daily basis. It's not just that first day in on a series. No, no, no. That's something that we we um, we actually changed when he took over last year. Is we'll go over um, each starting pitcher every day, as opposed to you know going over everybody the first game of the series, and then you you know we we do it on more of a daily basis. Is that just kind of the advantage of having it that fresh, or do you get different things when you break it down like that? Um, you know, it's it's definitely a freshness thing. You know, if. If we know we're facing a guy on the third day and you hear about him, you know, maybe on the first day, maybe you don't pay as much attention. But, you know, it's um, it's something you go over a little bit more in detail and kind of approach-wise and everything. Other thing I notice is on the work assignments that were up on the board today, you actually have the starting pitcher, what he has, what his speeds are on his pitches, and the percentage that he throw, uh, throws them. Just anywhere where they can put information, it looks like they do. Um, yeah, that was something that I think, um, you know, I think Prieto sets that up, and, you know, that's been nice. And, you know, there's the information's available. It's, you know, whether you want to use it. If you don't like it and you don't want to use it, you don't have to use it. But if it's something that you like, you can, you can use it. So, I mean, anytime you can... Um, you know, gather information if you want. It's a good thing. You've always been a video guy. Are you using that any differently? Um, no, that's been pretty much the same. And you have the access on the iPads. Do you use that? Oh yeah, they, that has been different. They, um, you know, they downloaded an app where we can, uh, you know, talk, we can uh, get the information beforehand, get our bats on them, and you know, they kind of update it every series. So that's been that's been pretty nice. Do you kind of find yourself kind of doing that at odd times, or is it just when you're at the ballpark? Uh, I, I try to not, but, you know, you, you look at it sometimes. You know, if there's something you're interested in and, 
you know, if uh, you can't really sleep or something, you can kind of take a look at it. What have you been looking at of late? I, I know that you are a constant guy that's constantly tinkering and, and figuring out things. What are you looking at right now? I'm trying to figure out how to get a hit, so that'd be that's the good. step number one, yeah. I guess. But, no, it's it, it's not far off. It, it's something that, you know, obviously you'd like to have more hits, but I'm not necessarily stressing about it. I think it's, um, you know, it's part of the it's part of the season. You go ups, you go your downs, you know. If you start in a not-so-good stretch, it definitely um, gets amplified. But, you know, this kind of stuff happens, and it'll be all right. Are you at a point right now where you're keeping everything the same and happy with it, or are you still kind of looking at things? No, no, you're definitely tinkering, definitely, um, you know, working with Edgar, working with the coaches, and, you know, trying to, um, you know, get back to, you know, what doing before that was being successful and, you know, figure out why it's not working now. Yes, and one of our favorites, Greg Green, he gives you a look at, oh, some of the days you can really look forward to coming up on the homestand, here he is with Aaron Goldsmith. You know his voice. This is Greg Green, GG. Nobody knows my <laughs> My parents know my own trying, voice. Trying to build you up. The VP of all things cool with the Seattle Mariners swinging by here. Another just a terrific season, GG, lined up for the fans in terms of the swag. I mean, this is, uh, I would say swag. Not everybody gets it. you got to be normally first 20,000. So just get here relatively early. But you have brought with you a variety of of uh, just elaborate goodies to the I, booth. Here. I didn't realize there wouldn't be a camera here, so it doesn't really <laughs> help that I have these. But, yeah, it's it's going to be a fun starting here in April. we got uh, a couple of big giveaways coming up at the end of the month versus the uh, Champion Royals. Uh, on Friday the 29th, the beard hat is back, and you actually look pretty good on it. You're, you're modeling it now. The, the fuzzy blue beard looks good on you. The, the Mariners Northwest Green cap. Uh, to top it off, and that's also a college night. So you put beard hat and college night together on Friday the 29th, and it's magic. You're going to be making friends, let me tell you. A lot of friends, a lot of friends. And then uh, the next night, Saturday uh, the 30th, uh, 610, it's our first bobblehead night, leading off with the boomstick. And there, you can see it, Aaron. Oh, it's glorious. Yeah, there's a Nelson Cruz leaning against uh, a boomstick that's as tall as he is. Taller. And, yeah, it's a, Yeah, maybe a little bit taller depending on how he's bobbling at the time. That's a good point. Um, but, yeah, the first 20,000 fans are going to get the boomstick, courtesy of our friends over at Root Sports. And that is a, a fine-looking bobblehead. Uh, can I ask, uh, who goes into the idea of actually designing the bobbleheads? You know, it's a committee. There's a bobblehead committee of about uh, a dozen or so that uh, sit in a conference room for about four or five hours. A day? Per, per player, yeah, in the offseason to work on it. Well, when uh, somebody's time is up on that committee, let me in. I'd love to be a part of that. We'll put you on a list. It's yeah. a long list to get on the committee, Aaron, but we will get your name on that. Now, speaking, of, list. speaking of committees, this is a, a fabulous one. Every year there is there are multiple designs for the new King's Court T-shirt. That's correct. And uh, this year uh, the King's Court territory won out with uh, the uh, nameplate of Felix the number 34 and the state of Washington in map form, uh, but in a cool way. Uh, this is a, a fine shirt, and we already see uh, hundreds of them in Kings Court already here today. Yeah, fans are starting to pour in uh, Kings Court promotion. Nothing like it in baseball. I know there's a lot of a lot of other teams starting to to do it as well, but. You know, it started here at Safeco Field, and Mariner fans have really taken it and making it their own with the the K card chance, and you know the people that come dressed up in costume and sharing the turkey leg out there. It's uh, it's one of a kind, and I, I can't wait to see the, this first quarter of the year with uh, 3,000 plus fans out there. I'm glad you brought that up. You know what they're saying right now in New York today? Harvey Day. No, it's it's always a happy Felix Day, isn't Thank it? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You just got to know where it comes from. It does. You know? It does, and it came from the fans. You know, the fans. 
They gave him the nickname King Felix. They started wishing each other Happy Felix Day online. Um, so Mariner fans know how to bring it, and they bring it every time in the Kings court. You know, something we were talking about because it came up spontaneously, organically on bullpen banter, Bark of the Park. Bark We've in the got park. two Bark in the Park days. Three? We have three of them? There's three of them. <sighs> Check your calendar. We did. We scanned the calendar. <laughs> so I've got May 24th and, and August 9th or as a couple of Bark in the Park days. But uh, this has been a, a, a wild success. It has been. Um, wild. Pardon the pun. It's they're domesticated, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's uh, – uh, Here we go. You ready for this one? Uh, a late September, break. This just in. This just in. <laughs> September 6th. It's your third Bark in the Park. Yeah. Three chances to come out. Bring your dog to the park. You get a ticket for the dog. They have their own seat. Of course they do. They have leashes. There's three different colored leashes, and uh, it's just a blast. And then they get to do a lap around the bases. It's a run or a walk or a jog around the bases with your dog on the field after the game. Is there anything cooler than that? Last year, am I remembering that they – a second one was added because the first one was so, so popular? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's some kind of stat floating out there. There's more dogs in Seattle than there are kids. And I, I think that might be true. When you see it bark in the park, there are a lot of people and dogs out here. And uh, yeah, those are fun nights at the ballpark. GG, Greg Green, VP of All Things Cool with the Mariners. Thanks for swinging by, dropping the mic, and bringing a little Macklemore flair to the booth. Thank you. Always good to be here. I think that's your theme song rest of the way. Yeah. Appreciate you looking out for me. I really do. There he is, Greg Green. Boy, we love having him, especially when you bring show and tell. Russ Davis being held on by Saxon over at first base, playing just a little bit behind him. And now Jackson's pitch. Swinging a ground ball down to the second baseman. Wilson, he tags the runner there, goes to first, double play. Enrique Wilson tagged Russ Davis on the back, and Russ Davis is arguing with the second base umpire, Larry Barnett. He said he didn't touch it. And here comes Lou Pinella. The double play, of course, is going to stand. And Russ Davis is going to leave. Lou Pinella is going to plead his case to no avail. There are two outs here in the ninth inning. And perhaps they are arguing interference in the case of the second baseman Enrique Wilson and Lou out there showing what happened has both ends spread straight out as if to say what I have to do here is what happened and he's putting on quite a show for these fans here in Cleveland again palms spread straight out and this time Larry Barnett throws his hand straight out Lou has his hand off. Larry Barnett turns his back. Lou wants to get thrown out of his ball game with one out to go. And Lou Pinella finally turns around. And Larry Barnett retreats out on the greensward, out on the verdant grass of Cleveland, Ohio. And Lou Pinella, in exasperation and frustration, turns around for one last blast. And finally slowly walks off the diamond. That was quite a show by Lou. I think he's still in the ball game. I don't think Larry Barnett ejected him. So Pinella over toward the Mariner dugout will slowly get there. And here comes Shane Monahan. is one for three here comes Pinella again and he's gonna 
go back out. He says, oh, did you throw me out? And I think Larry Barnett said, yeah, you're out of the ball game. Lou says, what? Did you throw me out of the ball game? And now Lou, hands folded across his chest, jaw jutted out, right in the face of Larry Barnett. And I can't read exactly what he's saying on his lips, and it's probably a good thing I can't, because I couldn't report it anyway. And Larry Barnett and Lou are still going at it. Lou's obviously been thrown out of this ball game. And Larry, and now he's got his cap off and throwing his cap down. And Lou's head bobbing back and forth like a hen, picking up pieces of corn, and now kicks his cap once, misses it twice, kicks it the third time out onto the outfield grass, goes back. The other three umpires, the other two umpires, joining Larry Barnett out there, the only man, Bill Miller, standing at home plate, while Lou puts on one magnificent show here in Cleveland. Ah, yes, this will make a lot of the highlight reels, and Vanilla is absolutely exasperated as he goes over, picks up his hat, and can't hang on to it. Or maybe didn't hang on to it, and first he kicks it again! As he drop kicks it on to the, this is the greatest show by Pinella as a Mariner manager. He got distance that time. That was a three-pointer. He's going to kick it all the way to the Mariner dugout. He kicks it again high into the air. One ball and one strike. It was a thing of absolute baseball beauty. Here is the pitch. Swing and a foul straight back. The show that Pinella put on. <laughs> That's his best show. And Mike Jackson now one strike away from putting this thing away for Mr. Burba. The pitch swinging a high foul into the upper deck off the first base side. One ball and two strikes. He must have kicked his cap. What do you say, Kevin? Nine, ten times. And then as he got over, he threw it back. <laughs> Stands with an Indian fan, threw it right back. Here comes the one-two pitch. Swing and a ground ball into second. It's going to be over. See you later! Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.